Coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society, the Super NES is holding down the 12 tabletop at the local brew pub. It's checking its phone and hoping to God that someone shows up. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with ya. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I am joined, as I am always joined by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. Mark, how's it going? It's going great. I am a little in a little bit of a singy mood oh, right okay. now. Sing, like, singing some songs. On the way yeah. over, I was singing in the car um, before we were recording. Mm-hmm. I couldn't help myself. Whoa, 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 whoa. What were you singing in the car? Uh, what was I singing in the car? And were you singing because you were driving fast or because you were driving slow? <laughs> you know the difference. <laughs> I do know the difference. Okay, I'll tell you. And this is just between friends that right. I was listening to on the way over here. Everyone listening to this uh, show, your friends. Yeah. Got it? I was listening to the soundtrack to Disney's Tarzan by Phil Collins. Yes. Singing along to, you know, like Son of Man mm-hmm. and the other songs on that soundtrack. Wait, which one is the? Is it? Uh, you'll be in my heart. Is that that? The, that's that the is main the one? ballad yeah. from it. Yeah, I, yeah. Is it a ballad when it's between a mother and son? I guess it's still a ballad. It's still a right? ballad. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I don't yeah. think ballad necess- I think ballad technically just means something that is sung. Oh, okay. Like, then it's that, a ballad. Yeah. Then. <laughs> I'm sure some purists would say, like, well, no, obviously it has taken on a more specific meaning since then. Uh, but I don't think it has to be romantic. It can just be an expression of love. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm going to use it however I want because language is constantly yeah, evolving. That's right. Um, the Another thing that is constantly evolving, and I am not segueing to uh, the Sonic vs. Borrowing program just yet, uh, but I, I was recently listening to the um, Disneyland music. There's like a collection of Disneyland music on uh, Apple, uh, Apple Music. Um, and there's like the, the whole part of like the evolving um, music from the Tarzan Treehouse. Um, part of which is uh, um, You'll Be In My Heart, but the rest of it is like more instrumental and like, you know, like as you're walking through there. Oh, yeah. It's all like, like it, drums and stuff like that. Drums and then like it sort of slowly becomes the song and like mm-hmm. depending on where you are in the space. They're so Disney is so good. And look, is this like six episodes in a row where we started off talking about Disney topics? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Um, but as, as you're going through, they're so good at like isolating their sonic experiences. Yeah. It's 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 truly. Magic. I did watch the Spider-Man trailer, by the way. Oh yeah, it's great, right? Yeah, yeah, it's good. I have to admit, I don't like Doctor Strange. Don't care for Benedict Cumberbatch. As yeah, you got Doctor it. Strange. <laughs> uh, yeah, he he's him doing the American accent is always like it sounds like it's too big in his mouth or something, right? Every time I see him, I'm reminded of how much I didn't like the first Doctor Strange movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, if he's gonna be like a foil for Spider-Man in this one, like I'm, 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 I'm for it. <laughs> um, speaking of foils, I, <laughs> I blew the only good transition we were gonna have. My copy of Sonic Forces. Would you like to borrow it? You can if you want to. Um, it is my copy of the game for the Nintendo Switch. All you gotta do is email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com give us a mailing address where we can mail this thing to you you play it for as long as you want you send it back there might be a copy of untitled goose game in there it's just something you got to deal with 
The other thing you can do is leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or really wherever you get your podcast. Mm-hmm. Patrick, are you still using Apple Podcasts? Have you? I know that there was a moment where you right. had a crisis of faith. Yeah, and I continue to have this crisis. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've kind of just resolved myself to be in crisis forever. <laughs> and is that a reflection of like where we are with the coronavirus? Like probably. <laughs> um, that I just don't think I deserve good things anymore. Well, but here's a good thing that you yeah. can give Patrick. And really... <laughs> Anyone who's interested in Nintendo, if you leave us a five-star review or favorite us or a four-star review, basically on your podcatcher of choice, if there is a way to say, hey, I like this show, um, do that. We will shout you out. It helps us out a bunch. It helps people find the show. It helps patch- pull Patrick back from this downward spiral That's that right. he's in. I mean, we'll see about that one. <laughs> but all the rest of it's true. Also, uh, October is Game & Watch month. We are quickly approaching... Uh, the entire month of October, and during that month of October, the entirety of it, <laughs> we're going to be talking about Game & Watch, the hardware, the software, everything related to it. It's a little bit of a new frontier for Mark and I, as uh, neither of us grew up with like an abundance of them. We know a little bit about it, so we need a little bit of your guidance, your experience with Game & Watch, your suggestions about what topics in Game & Watch we should explore. So email us at NintendoCartridgeSociety at gmail.com and let us know what about that interests you. Um, if we don't get any suggestions, then we're just going to have to make stuff up, which I'm comfortable doing. I, I mean, I feel like we're holding a loaded gun at people, but <laughs> that is the truth. We'll just have to come up with something. We'll just have to come up with something. Uh, and it'll be, it'll be, I'm confident it'll be a fun month e- either way, but it's, it's more fun to have uh, uh, listeners engaged in this um, and uh, playing some Game & Watch games with us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, Mark, we have a fun uh, topic today. We are celebrating the 30th anniversary of the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Let's get into it. And Mark, how better to celebrate the 30th anniversary of something than by generating a list of our 30 favorite features of the Super NES? This was a really fun list to come up with. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have done 15. Patrick has done 15. Plus. And so, uh, which is good because we're going to have a list at the end of the night of 30 unique things. And so where Patrick and I, if there is overlap, um, then we will have to come up with something else. So it's good that you have extras. But I have to tell you, I really enjoyed putting this list together. I love the Super Nintendo. Yeah, me too. It, uh, I have such fond memories of it. And so like just thinking about the Super Nintendo all day, jotting down my thoughts about the Super Nintendo. It was like spending like the perfect day at the beach. Just yes. like the warm sun I mean, of the Super Nintendo. Honestly, it was like spending the day with an old friend, mm. right? Like it felt social to me to be like writing down. Not that I would ever make lists of my favorite attributes of my friends. I've never done that, Mark. Uh, but if I were to, I imagine it would feel a lot like this. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, find ourselves with uh, a bunch of Super Nintendo games on my uh, kitchen table, which is where we are recording this. Um my copy of Final Fantasy 2, my copy of Battletoads and Double Dragon, my copy of Mortal Kombat 2, my copy of uh, Beethoven Ultimate Canine Caper. Like, they're all here. Um, we've also got the uh, Super NES Classic Edition and a Super Nintendo controller. Um, just so if we ever need to, like, reach out and feel, like, the tactile sensation of these things, we've got it right here. Um, 
I do think that uh, since Mark and I are both uh, American boys who grew up as American boys, uh, we are going to be talking about the Super NES as it appeared in North America, which means we are talking about the little uh, gray and purple thing. We are talking about um, the light purple and dark purple buttons. Um, we are not talking about a Super Famicom. We're not going to talk about any Fire Emblem games, probably. Um, so this is the North American experience of the, the Super NES. I'm, I'm correct in assuming that that's also... Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yep. Um, so uh, when, when we say uh, things, like our favorite things about it, I don't know about you, Mark, but I went uh, both very uh, specific in being like, this game. Uh, and I've also gone a little bit broader to be like, this concept, uh, this trend in games, or this feature of the hardware or whatever. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we, we, we understand that some things are going to be broader, some things are going to be more specific. What do we do when, inevitably, someone says like, I said this category of thing, and then someone else is like, I have a specific example of that thing. Are those two different features, or will we have to handle that on a case-by-case basis? It seems to me like we're going to have to handle it on a case-by-case basis, because, yeah. It, I don't even know what we would do with a specific example. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay, great. So, so we just will... I'm just saying, you know, this is another one where we have to resolve, as always, yes. to come out of this as friends. Yes, I mean, I what a sad day it would be if on at the Super Nintendo's thirtieth birthday party, I know, I know. Our, this podcast dissolved. I mean, it's a it's a high drama scenario, a birthday party, especially a big one like a thirtieth. Yeah, you know, it's it, pe- friendships could end. Is Midlife all crisis, and it's it's funny to think of the thirty year anniversary of a console as the middle of its life. <laughs> <laughs> it absolutely is not, Mark. Um, let's start throwing some things onto this list so people can get a sense of what the heck we're even talking about. Would you like to go first and offer your first favorite thing about the Super NES? Yeah, and I'm going to start um, very simple. And I'm just going to say, I love the name of the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Oh, Mark, that's so good. I, it's something that we would never see ever again. Mm-hmm. And but the naming of it is like Game Boy Advance, sort of. But yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good. Okay. Uh, ar- arguably, Wii U. But <laughs> keep going. <laughs> I just love it though. I love that it's like uh, the simplicity of like, hey, you had the Nintendo, yeah, entertainment system. Well, guess what? Yeah. Buckle up, kids, because now it is like the Super Nintendo entertainment system. There's yeah. something so simple about it. It just makes me think of. Um, the episode of The Simpsons when everybody is obsessed with like Bone Crusher. Yeah. Well, Bone Storm, right? Bone Storm. Yeah, that's right. right. The the like fighting Mortal Kombat esque video game right. that Bart really wants for Christmas. And like Millhouse is sitting there and just being like blown away by it. Yes. That is like the image that the name Super Nintendo, Super Enter- uh, Nintendo Entertainment System conjures to me as like a little kid just sitting in front of the TV, just being blown away by the magnificence of it. Um, can we go a step further with that and say that the super branding, just like on top of that, is uh, a stroke of genius? We obviously already have like Super Mario Brothers like as a concept. Oh, yeah. So it's already sort of like floating out there in the ether. But then the Super Nintendo turns every game into super whatever. Uh, even like uh, licensed games when they would come over or uh, third party games. It's Super Castlevania. It's Super Star Wars, right? Uh, so when like Super Metroid comes out, you're like, yes, this is the game for this thing. And it's super. Yeah. And it all felt of a piece with like the the marketing and everything where it's like, now you're playing with power. 
And it just felt like, yes, yes, I am. And because it was such a an, uh, big leap from what the capabilities of the Nintendo Entertainment System, yeah. it really did feel like it was leveling up. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. I love that. So we, we have down here, uh, or I have written in our list here, that the first thing is the name and just the brand super in, in general. Um, that's, that's, that's brilliant. Mark, such a good start to this thing. Um, I'm going to, uh, may, maybe this is, well, here, 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 here's one of my favorite things about the, the Super NES, um, is the Nintendo S-SMP sound chip developed by Sony um, and put into this tiny little box that makes it sound like no other piece of hardware on the market. It is an eight-channel uh, sound chip that's uh, twice as many uh, channels as the NES, um, and it functions based off samples. Uh, a lot of preloaded samples, including that sort of like funky bass that you end up hearing in a lot of uh, early Super NES games, but also with the ability for composers to upload their own sound samples, which is how you get the sort of gorgeous orchestral sounding scores of uh, the Final Fantasy games and like anything else, especially later in the system's life where it just sounds like there's a tiny little symphony inside this thing. You weren't getting that on Genesis. Genesis has its own cool sound chip, but it's not the uh, S-SMP sound chip. And it also, like, it represents a partnership with Sony, which, like, you know, the during this era leading into the Nintendo 64 is right as the uh, chasm, the chasm is forming between them, uh, and they would never work together again. Uh, but it's such a good sound chip. Yeah, it... Uh, the 16-bit era, so the Super Nintendo and the Genesis, that is the sound of video games to me. That's like my uh, nostalgia sweet spot when it comes to video game music. Because, uh, and the Super Nintendo more than the Genesis, because I didn't own a Genesis, right? Yeah. It wasn't until later that I um, started hearing those soundtracks, knowing more about those games. And the Super Nintendo, just like the sound the music from the Super Nintendo era, it's, I like, video game music today can be amazing, but it is, uh, there was something about, like, the limitations of the sound chips yeah. um, in, like, these 16-bit systems, where now it's, like, you can literally do anything you want. Right, of course. Um, and, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know. There's something, like, intangible yeah. about that that just lives in my mind. Yeah, just, it's uh, very sticky. Um, yeah, and it's it's totally like the uh, the the clarity that the um, like chip provides is uh, you know one of the big things that's different from the um, the Genesis. The Genesis kicks out at like a little bit lower fidelity, which is can sometimes be awesome, right? Like those kind of like crunchier sounds of like a, a Sonic the Hedgehog game. Um, but man, there's, there's just nothing to me as uh, like clean and awesome as like a Super NES sound uh, soundtrack like firing the way it's supposed to. Well. Uh, my what we'll, we'll use for number three. So my next yes favorite thing about the Super Nintendo is uh I want to touch on those regional differences. Ooh, okay. Because I think that is another thing that has been lost to time is that like now video games become so big worldwide and there's such a global community that when Nintendo releases a system, it is has the same name worldwide. Yeah. You know, game systems are region free now. You can pretty much play any game from any region that you want to. But that was not the case in the era of the Super Nintendo. 
right? Like uh, each area of the world, like each region got its, its a different own experience of this thing, yeah. Of the Super Nintendo. So uh, like you mentioned, Patrick, the North America Super Nintendo that I know and love is this little gray box with purple buttons. In Europe, you know, the buttons on the controller and I guess Japan, the buttons on the controller are uh, green, blue, red, and, and yellow. yellow. Yeah. Which I think looks super cool. It looks so good. My my uh, new 3DS has that same button color uh, layout, and it, I I love it. I and, wish they would do it like all the time. And then in Japan, it is of course the Super Famicom. Yep. Um, playing off of the Famicom system that was the Japanese equivalent of the NES. And so, and you know, like game name differences, like Star Fox being Lilat Wars, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. It's just uh. I'm not nostalgic for that time, but it is like a very specific experience that doesn't exist today in video games. Yeah. Well, and I mean, just uh, we'll talk about some of the like RPGs and stuff that are on the system later on, I'm sure. But like there were a a bunch of Fire Emblem games that came out in Japan that we never got here and have never had an opportunity to play. Like there, there are all these like, I feel like there are these like sort of holy grail of like someday some of these things will be localized and come over. Uh, it's just, it's uh, it, it's an exciting era of, um, you know, region specific features and games. Yeah. Um, what a good pull Mark. We've done three sort of abstract things or at least three non game things. Um, so I'm just going to pull out one of the big guns here. Mario paint. Um, Mario paint was a unique game in that it was arguably not a game um it was an art studio it it allowed you to do animation it allowed you to make stamps it allowed you to make music but the thing that i really want to drill down on right now is the absolutely astounding mario paint player's guide from nintendo power um if you've never seen this thing i urge you to look it up mark i'm even saying this to you right now um the mario paint player's guide um it is a like 140 page um, guide from Nintendo Power like they would do you know during this time except since it's just an art game it's like what could they possibly give you uh, to do um, and the guide had all of these like cheat sheets and instructions uh, for making cartoons and music featuring the following buckle up here okay Dr. Mario, Link to the Past, Star Fox, Lemmings, Santa Claus, Street Fighter, Ninja Turtles, The Moon Landing, Beethoven, Galileo and the Planets, Baseball, including stamps for all the MLB team logos, the NFL, including 3 by 3 stamps for every team helmet, Bart Simpson, Polk, uh, or, or Plock, sorry, Mega Man, Battletoads, Super Ghouls and Ghosts, Wizards of Oz, Star Wars, Spider-Man, and a ton of other music. And there are instructions in this player's guide to hook up your VCR and like make your cartoons and like make music videos. And they have this whole big example of an animated music video to sitting on the dock of the bay. Um, And like, it's just this player's guide is a truly it's art school, right? And it is the instruction manual basically for how to make great fun things with Mario paint. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now and it is really, really cool. And kind of surprising the stuff that's in here. Like, I wonder if they officially licensed it. Like, because they mention, they specifically call out, like, Disney stuff. Like, in Disney's Peter Pan, Peter could swoop yep. and soar like a bird. And then there are illustrations of Disney's Pinocchio made in Mario Paint. Right. Disney's Alice in Wonderland and White Rabbit. Like, unmistakably, Sleeping Beauty, like, Maleficent. 
Um, yeah. And, you know, there's, there's like, Street Fighter art in here. They show you, like, pixel by pixel how to make, uh, like, full versions of Chun-Li doing her, like, her lightning kick. The album covers for Velvet Underground and Nico, Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA, Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusion 2. It's incredible, isn't it? <laughs> and, I mean, this, is, this was my Bible when I was playing, uh, Super, uh, uh, playing Mario Paint and, like, making my own cartoons. Um, and occasionally I would, like use the uh, sprites that they give you and just sort of like alter them to make them my own. Um, I know for sure that I hooked up uh, my VCR to the Super Nintendo so I could record like four second chunks of animation and like totally like link together a whole little movie experience. Uh, and I wouldn't have known to do that. I wouldn't have known how to do that without this player's guide. Um, I don't know if this is the last time we're going to talk about uh, player's guides on this list. I know there's another big one um, that is important here. Um, but the Mario Paint and the Mario Paint Player's Guide were just absolutely crucial experiences for me for the Super NES. Well, can I just tell you my experience with Mario Paint, which is so different from yours, because we got Mario Paint, just the cartridge, loose, like secondhand, probably for somebody's garage sale. No mouse? Uh, no mouse. Oh my I God. had no idea that Mario Paint had a mouse until we did this show and you talked about it at some point. Um... So yeah, so my so that Mario Paint can do all of these things and that they kind of like guided you to do all of these things is so amazing to me because I think of it as just like a blank canvas that I would like doodle on for a little bit right. and then just not really understand what to do. Yeah. Um so yeah, the possibilities of Mario Paint is still amazing to me. Yeah, tr- truly uh, e- endless at at that time. Like, you know, I was comparing it to um, like MS Paint or like uh, Kid Picks or like any of those programs that I, I you know, those like just drawing programs. Um, and the fact that it lets you do animation, lets you do music, um, and even do the like uh, pixel by pixel sort of like sprite art. Um, really, really cool. I, I love it. Also great music. Oh, yeah. Phenomenal music. Okay. My- and a, uh, a fly swatting minigame called Coffee Break. <laughs> All right, my next one is actually, I'm going to go ahead and like piggyback off of that a little bit because my next uh, pick for favorite thing about the Super Nintendo is just game manuals in general. Okay. And we don't, it, these don't exist anymore. And it, they kind of started falling out of favor in like the GameCube era. And now they basically don't exist at all. But there was a time where every game came with like a booklet. And yes. inside the booklet would be like, uh, the plot for the game, basically, written out. You'd have the the enemies, and you would have the characters, and you would have, like, how to play the game and yep. how to control it and everything. And these are real, like, works of art. Like, they are so fun to go back. The ones for the Super Nintendo uh, Classic Edition are online. So for, like, Star Fox, Star Fox 2, Donkey Kong Country, all of those exist online. They went back and made one for Star Fox 2? I'm or was pretty... it like, were they ready to publish it with the, the game? Mm, maybe I'll eat my words about Star Fox 2 and just say okay, Star all right, Fox. All right, sorry. I know for sure there is one for that. But, is it, but, you know, like when we were doing our uh, look back at Super Nintendo games in April of 2020, that was like a resource that was really fun to go back to and see. Or even when we were doing the Kid Icarus month, that was another yeah. one where it's like, oh, let's go back, look back at the manual and see what like the story was. And just being as a kid, like flipping through those books, getting all of that information was something that was always a lot of fun. Um, and th- I think there is something like the, the distinction between 
the sort of NES era of game manuals and the Super NES, the NES is a little bit more unhinged, right? I feel like that's where there's more like sort of like off the wall art and more where it's like someone's translating something and trying to make sense of uh -huh. it. Um, and I just feel like it's a little bit more put together yeah. in the Super NES era. Just like everything else with the Super Nintendo, yeah. like the ambitions were bigger. People had the NES under their belt. And so they were like, okay, we know how to do this. Like uh, Princess Toadstool is this. Koopa is this. Like we're all going to um, uh, get our acts together now. Um, to a degree. To, to a degree. To a degree. Right. There are some, some, some places where, where they didn't. Um, okay. Uh, should I do another game or another like sort of abstraction? Well, I'll tell you. I'll do another game next. So maybe if you want to do an abstraction. Okay. I'll, I'll do an abstraction, uh, which is actually going to be a sort of a collection of games. I'm talking about the 2D fighting game Explosion. Obviously started in the arcade, but the Super Nintendo made it possible to bring that experience home. Uh, cheaply and pretty convincingly. Um, I, I'm talking about games like Street Fighter 2 and its various uh, incarnations, Street Fighter Alpha and the various versions of that that came to the Super NES. I'm talking about Mortal Kombat, which uh, I know the Genesis had the blood code, but like it's a better game on Super NES. It has a higher frame rate. It has enough buttons to actually play the game the way you're supposed to play it. Um, it's just better on there. I'm talking Killer Instinct. I'm talking Clay Fighter. I'm talking Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Tournament Fighter. Um, there are so many of those games that like came out at that time, which were big in arcades, but then were accessible at home. Best on the Super NES. And yeah, I know like Neo Geos exist, but like, do they really? Well, it just wasn't the common experience, right? To like be able to play a game on the Neo Geo. Neo Geo is another thing that, like, I didn't even know it existed at the time. It wasn't until I was an adult that uh, I knew that Neo Geo even existed. It is a real snapshot of the Super Nintendo era that fighting games were king. Yes. Well, and specifically Street Fighter 2, right? Yeah. Like, um, if you look back at any video game magazine of, like, the early 90s, um, all they're just about Street Fighter 2. And this is like after the game had been out for months. And like every new version of the game that came out, the uh Turbo or Championship Edition or Super, um, every single version was like a new like milestone. It was a new like thing to discuss and uh to buy. And it was just it's a it's a it's a killer version of the game. My next pick is a game. It is Stunt Race FX. What are we talking about here, Mark? <laughs> I, this is one of the first games that my family got when we had a Super <laughs> Nintendo, and it is a treasure to me. So Stunt Race FX is a racing game, um, but you are, like, it heavily relies on Mode 7 and this, like, faux, maybe it's not even Mode no, 7. No, it's, it's not Mode it's, 7. It's, it's the, the Super F FX chip. It's the FX yeah. chip, which would make sense for Stunt Race FX. It, so it has this, like, uh, polygonal we'll come back to uh mode seven by the way yeah okay. yeah yeah so uh, you know like kind of like star fox-esque polygons put together look to it and i uh i think it's on the super nintendo classic edition it is yeah and tried to play it again and it is a rough play now it is really slow there's lots of slowdown because they're doing a lot of things to be flashy with the graphics like when your car crashes uh it all like blows apart and the individual polygons like 
blast away yeah. in, at a really slow frame rate. If you want to see some triangles fall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, the vehicles themselves, there's, like, different cars you can choose from. And they all have these big, like, googly eyes on them. But I absolutely loved this game. And, <laughs> uh, I mean, I can't really defend it. This but is it's an a, amazing pull, But it's this a classic incredible. to me. It is a game that I associate with the Super Nintendo and with that era so strongly that it brings me joy just thinking about Stunt Race FX. Um, I'm going to keep us in that same ballpark, and uh, I will submit Star Fox to the list. Um, another game that takes advantage of the Super FX chip, which actually lets the uh, Super NES uh, render polygons. Uh, should not have been possible, um, but it was. It, uh, the Super FX chip was something that they uh, were like developing close to the release of the Super NES but couldn't get it in the actual hardware itself, so it had to go out. And the technology to do 3D graphics is in the cartridge. It's so wild. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, Star Fox is a game that, uh, you know, you can... Basically, all of the complaints that you can level against um, Stunt Race FX, you can also level against Star Fox, right? Like, uh, it is slow. Um, it ha- drops frames. It has a low frame rate to begin with. Um, but Star Fox is so imaginative with its characters, and the moment-to-moment gameplay is so rewarding and so engaging. Um, when you and I went back and played it, again, I guess April of uh, last year, um, like I was blown away by how much fun I was having while playing it. It's just such a solid game that uh, like looking at it, you're like, oh, they were, they were boxing above their weight. But then you get your hands on the controller, and like they weren't, they they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. Yeah, it was Star Fox. The original Star Fox and is such a kind of like amazing alchemy of all of these elements that I love. Yes, you know it has like Star Wars. It has this kind of like Indiana Jones swagger. It um, it, it, you know like is this video mind blowing graphics video game on the Super Nintendo. Uh, with like really cool character designs, yes, that were like felt really approachable, but like fun, almost like you know, like uh, capturing that like Disney esque magic of like their Robin Hood and that kind of stuff. And man, th- I did not have a good opinion of this game until like you, we went back and replayed it. I think it is really difficult to play on a big screen TV. The best way to play it is on like a handheld, yeah, where um the graphics are like a little little easier to make sense of. Yeah, or if you've got, like, a computer monitor that you can hook your uh, Super NES Classic up to. But it's really easy to get lost in it, like you're saying, because once you can look past it... Playing Star Fox was like watching a a Shakespeare play. Yes. Where in the beginning, you go in and you're like, okay, like, you are playing catch-up in the first, like, Mm -hmm. few scenes because you're trying to, like, get into the groove of it. But once you do and once, like, you get into the language then you're able to forget all of that and just like really enjoy it. Yeah. I like, I do think it does take the conscious decision to be like, I'm going to have fun with this. And then you will, and the game rewards you for like having that buy-in. Um, it's also like underrated how uh, trippy and weird the game can be in moments where you're like flying through black holes and whatever. Yeah. Um, like they really just, because the palette is so limited and because they can show you so few polygons, um, they really do make the most of it. And like, present some strange, abstract, wonderful things to you. Star Fox is an instant classic, uh, you know, 25 years in the <laughs> 25 years later. So my next one 
I kind of need your help with this, Patrick, because yeah. I don't want to step on the toes of potential other callouts like we like Star Fox. But there's something about these um, core, I'll say core, like Nintendo first party published games that is a collective. It's like remarkable. I'm talking about A Link to the Past, Super Mario World, Super Metroid, Super Mario Kart. Um, Star Fox is up there where it's like, these entries in the franchise like are laying they're taking it to an, these games to like another level yeah so i i have something like this in my list too uh, that i just ha- that i just call getting it right this time yeah uh and for, so for me it's there there aren't any new entries in there so mario kart wouldn't be in that star fox wouldn't be in that but um link to the past super metroid mario world i also have mega man x yeah, in here where yeah. it's like they, they took exactly what the 8-bit games were doing and were like, no, now we can do it right. Yeah, there's something about the 16-bit era mm-hmm. that it's like uh, the the 8-bit era, everybody had all of these ambitions and there are so many games, like the original Final Fantasy, where they are butting up against the limitations of the system really yeah. hard. So hard, yeah. But in the 16-bit era, it, like you... They all they were able to fulfill basically all of the ambitions that they had from the eight bit era and like render them in the way that they it feels like render them in the way that like they envisioned it to actually be right and it doesn't always make for a better game like something like Super Castlevania for example totally not as good as maybe any of the NES Castlevanias um but maybe but I don't I don't know um I don't really care that much <laughs> um but like for especially coming out of first party Nintendo. Where it's like, yeah, absolutely. When they took a swing on NES, um, it was good or even great. Like, I'm not going to say that uh, Metroid and Zelda and any of the Super Mario Brothers aren't great games, because they are. But these super versions of them are all better. Yeah, I mean, I just remember in A Link to the Past, you know, when you get the first handful of pendants, and then the world, like, changes. Yes. And it's just, um, it's an experience that now you take for granted in Zelda games and in a, a ton of games but at the time for me playing it that was a transformative experience where it was like the what games can be now is just so much bigger so what do we want to call that do we want to call that like the evolution from 8-bit do we want to call that 16-bit perfection what I, do we I think call I think like I like 16-bit perfection because you know like they it laid like the the foundation for these series totally like all over again mm-hmm. right like super mario world introduced so many elements to the mario series that we may talk about the, that we may talk about up, later up. but like link to the past same sort of thing right yep. like link to the past really set the formula for what uh zelda games were same with super metroid ish only there just weren't that many metroid games after the fact uh, yeah, uh, but there also weren't that many Metroid games before, yeah. right? Like, there were just the, the two of them, and really, Super is like, no, this is how we make these games. And every game, even the Prime games, right, which are uh, played in a totally different, like, perspective, uh, take all of their best cues from from uh, Super. Um, so, great. I'm glad that we both, like, agree with this sort of nebulous idea. Um, I do just want to tack on that I think Mega Man X is the, like, idealized execution of a base Mega Man game, uh, like rivaled only by like maybe two or three of like Mega Man Two or Mega Man Three. Um, two, three, and X in my mind are like the pinnacle of of that series. 
Um, so now to me, um, hey, let's just uh, talk about the thing that we teased earlier. Yoshi. Yoshi is a building block of the Super NES. Uh, he is the thing that introduces Super Mario World as something new and unique and more powerful than Mario had ever been before. But he's also the cornerstone for um, uh, Super Mario World 2, Yoshi's Island. Uh, he's a playable character in Mario Kart, which is like, what? Uh, and this is also as we're starting to see those like Yoshi and Yoshi's Cookie, like those mm -hmm. games like come up. Yoshi is a star and the Super Nintendo is his vehicle. And the timing of Yoshi is just so serendipitous because the early 90s, the world was gripped with dinosaur mania. Yes. Thanks to like Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that there was now a dinosaur in Mario, it was just mind-blowingly amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Yoshi is the, is the extent of, of that entry of our favorite things for the, on the Super NES. The next favorite thing that I'm going to submit for our consideration is the Super Nintendo controller. Yeah, baby! The Super Nintendo controller is maybe the greatest controller of all time. Uh, it is certainly the because this was this is on my list as well. Um, it is the controller on which all subsequent controllers are based. Yeah, uh, with the exception of the Wii Remote. Uh, everything else has looked at the Super NES controller and said, "How can we modify that to make it a little bit better?" But that's it. All you can hope to do is make this controller a little bit better. The so the Nintendo controller the well, I guess I should say the controller for the Nintendo Entertainment System. If you've never held one in your hands, it is a square. Yeah. It with sharp edges mm -hmm. and it's, it's a rectangle, but it's yeah. A, it's a rectangle with sharp. We can edit out the fact that I called it a square. That would be amazing though if it was a square. Uh, a rectangle with sharp edges, mm -hmm. not super comfortable to hold for long periods of time. The Super Nintendo controller, like weird bulbous things at the end that you can just like cup in your hands Perfect. so beautifully. Yeah. They just fit in the palm of your hand. They ha it has, uh, it introduces the shoulder buttons mm -hmm. at the top, like the L and R. It has four face buttons. Arranged in this diamond, which yeah. again, I, I, don't, I, I don't know how uh, to uh, impress how meaningful it is that everyone does it that way. <laughs> and then the D-pad, yeah. which really could be its own entry in this list and maybe should be because it is once again the perfect, we only have 30 spots so. <laughs> it, it is it is once again the the perfect yeah. d-pad mm -hmm. um i don't i i feel like everybody's been chasing that perfection since and for the longest time um at like my parents house there would be a super nintendo you know all of these years and the d-pad would get stuck or it wouldn't work that well and so when nintendo released the super Ener the super nintendo classic edition and I was able to hold like a new Super Nintendo controller in my hand yeah. again and feel like the um the texture of the plastic and everything. Like it was a it was a pretty cool moment because uh yeah, I just love this controller so much. Yep. Yep, it's it's fantastic. Also as long as we're talking about the, you know, we we mentioned the multicolored buttons on the uh European and um Japanese uh Super Nintendo and Super Famicom, um but the purple and light purple Look, I know they're. I know that maybe they're objectively ugly, but they're imprinted on my heart, and I love them. Um, but I also love that the uh, X and Y buttons have the concave yes. um, curve to them, and the A and B buttons have this convex curve to them, so that even if you are not looking down at the controller, even if you get a little bit disoriented, 
you've got one extra cue telling you what button yeah, you're about to push. Yeah, it's such a cool attention to de- detail and something that we, like, never really saw ever again. Yeah. Like, all, I feel like all controller buttons are uh, convex now. Yeah. And um, I don't know why. I want it back. Ooh, just pressing these, like, start and select buttons. I know, buttons. they're so good. I mean, start and select are the worst buttons on that controller. But, like... <laughs> they're really mushy. But uh, <laughs> there is, yeah, just like a um, uh, sensory memory. Yeah. And, I mean, you're also right about the, the sensory memory of the, like, texture of the plastic, that it's not smooth. It's got, like, a little bit of something to it. Yeah. Uh, that just feels great. Um, Mark, I am in love with this list so far. Um, it is all of my favorite things about one of my favorite things in the world. Um, but I think now I've got to say a specific game. Mm, and I'm going to go with Chrono Trigger. Um, uh, a game with characters designed by legendary character creator Akira uh, uh, to- uh, Toriyama, developed by Dragon Quest uh, Yuji Horii and Final Fantasy's uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi, with music by Mitsuda and o- Oimetsu. It's a time-traveling epic with multiple endings. It is, like, simply one of the best role-playing games ever. Yeah, games of all time. Yeah, yeah, one of the best games of all time. Um, And it is a late uh, Super NES game. It was one of those they printed and charged 80 bucks for. um, And it's worth every dime. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Even in 1994 money or whenever it came out. Um, It's just an absolutely beautiful game that uh, addresses, uh, you know, concepts of like change and destiny and doom and sadness. And uh, it it just just, uh, a stunningly beautiful game uh, and perfect in its original release. Um, it would later come out as part of a Final Fantasy collection on the uh, PlayStation with uh, sort of added uh, anime cuts, anime style cutscenes. Mm-hmm. But there are like loading problems. The the quickness of the cart to load you into and out of battle and into and out of menus uh, made the game so snappy, so fun, so engaging. I love, 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 love Chrono Trigger, and I love it as it appears on the Super NES. Yeah, I mean, what is there more to say about Chrono Trigger than you already said? It is a perfect game. And the, I played it most recently all the way through in its DS release. Mm-hmm. Um, and those included the cutscenes yeah. from the PlayStation release. And then it also had some like additional like extra content. But playing it again in my 20s at that point was such a different experience playing it as a kid. Um, partly because I had played more RPGs mm-hmm. after that. And... Also partly because, and man, this is so sappy, but it's just like the themes of Chrono Trigger, I feel like are so like universal and they they hit differently when you're older than when you're young. Well, and and, like to to that point, they're maybe less universal than something like the other Final Fantasy games, which are on my list. And so we'll talk about them, (laughs) but uh, that like they, it's about getting older. It's about the things you lose as you age. It's about, um, it's about the world not being what you expect it to be yeah. or what you thought it was going to be. It's about traveling into the future and discovering that the world is ruined. Um, it's about going into the past and discovering dinosaurs. Like, there's so much depth to the narrative experience of Chrono Trigger that, like, I don't know. I just I, I have had magical experiences with uh, only a handful of video games, like truly magical ones, right, that like feel as though they transport you somewhere else. Um, and Chrono Trigger is just constantly doing that. Yeah. And it's it's one of those games that 
could never be replicated. I, yeah. I, as much as I love Chrono Trigger, I've never, I've never played Chrono Cross, so I can't speak to it. But you know, occasionally, it's okay. It's, yeah, and <laughs> yeah. It, it, it necessarily had to be so different. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I kind of never want uh, Square Enix to make another entry in the franchise because the alchemy of Chrono Trigger can't be replicated. Yeah, and well, I mean, that's one of the things that's uh, like mind-boggling as you look back on it, that, um, you know, this the game was published by Squaresoft. They were not Square Enix at this time, but because uh, Akira Toriyama and Yuji Hori are involved, it has a lot of Dragon Quest DNA. So, like, it's almost the proto Square Enix game. It's oh, like, yeah. And it, it when, even now, like, it sort of seems like you know what Square is doing and you know what Enix is doing and they're not really the same. Um, but in this game, like it really is combining Dragon Quest ideas with Final Fantasy ideas and the most beautiful product comes out of it. Yeah, and the music. Oh, oh my, my gosh. God. <laughs> the music is so good. It's stunning, yeah. It's so good. Aided, of course, by that Nintendo S-SMP yes, sound absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, my next entry on the list, I, um, it's a little broad, but it's important to me just to talk about RPGs in general. The Super Nintendo is an RPG like machine. Yes. And for me, it was my real introduction to RPGs because as a kid, uh, being younger on the the RPGs on the Nintendo Entertainment System were too complex, too opaque, too crushingly unforgiving. Yeah. That, like, it was not a genre I ever got into. And just like we were talking about, like, uh, these other games like A Link to the Past and Super Mario World, like, 16-bit perfection, I feel like that is so true when it comes to RPGs. The uh, ambitions of these creators, like, the technology finally caught up to it. Yeah. And they were able to render these like fully realized worlds and create something like Chrono Trigger, which just wasn't possible before. And so the, uh, the breadth of what RPGs could be with like uh, Super Mario RPG and Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy, and you have all these different entries. Like it was, um, again, just like a really like special time in video games. Yeah. So it won't surprise you to know that I have both um, Super Mario RPG and Final Fantasy as a, uh, a franchise. Uh, sort of like listed here as uh, separate items. Um, but I think we can probably find a way to uh, either... Well, so what are, are you referring also to like uh, Secret of Mana in this too? Or is that uh, maybe a little bit outside of not, not totally fit the brief? No, I mean, for me, it really is just like, this was what I would say is my introduction to RPGs yeah. for real. And yeah. so it's just like RPGs is the thing that I want to celebrate. Okay. Um, okay. So do we want to call out individual titles or, or not? I don't know. Do you have individual titles on your list other than Chrono Trigger? Yeah. <laughs> then let's not. Then let's not. Let's, okay, let's, all right, let's all right. keep it just as RPGs as a general category. And then we can talk about the virtues of each individual game like we did with Chrono Trigger. Sure. Okay, great. Um, then, yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree with you that this is just where... Um, storytelling in games kind of matures to a point where like they can actually do something they can actually uh give characters character they can give them wants they can make them uh disappointed in things they can make them want stuff um yeah it's 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 powerful and the the combination of the sound chip 
and the graphics and the high color output that the uh, uh, Super NES had, like, just means that they were able to deliver some, like, truly stunning uh, and unique worlds. Um... Should I should I name a? I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna say. I'm yeah, just, let's just let's we're just, just gonna uh, we're gonna live in this. Be, yeah, let's yeah. live in RPGs for a little bit. We're living in RPGs. Uh, my next entry here is just Final Fantasy as a, as a franchise. Um, and I gotta say that the experience of Final Fantasy as an American Super Nintendo Entertainment System owner is truly remarkable because um we had the original uh Final Fantasy on the NES and then nothing for many years. Then we get what we saw as Final Fantasies 2 and 3, which are the best of the next five Final Fantasy games, right? Handpicked and changed just enough for American audiences to uh, wrap their heads around them. Final Fantasy 2 and Final Fantasy 3, or 4 and 6, uh, their Japanese numbering, um, are both um, masterpieces. Um, they tell such big uh, world-spanning, world-ending, traveling-to-the-moon stories um, that have uh, enormous casts of characters. There are 14 playable characters in Final Fantasy III. 14, Mark! Um, and again, you know, it, it's a lot of the same uh, stuff that we were saying about Chrono Trigger in that, like, the music is gorgeous, the graphics are gorgeous. Um, they both use uh, the Mode 7, which is uh, the ability of the Super NES to render a, like a single large image um, as a as one polygon, so it would just it's used mostly for like map traversal, right? Um, and it just gives that little bit of extra perspective, so that it seems like uh, what the, what you're seeing is like fading off in 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 over the horizon, um, and that the game just feels like a globe trotting adventure, which of course it is. Um, they're so good, and then there's also look, there is also Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, which is like the uh, hyper dumbed down Final Fantasy game. You ever play Mystic Quest? No. Um, it's not good, um, but like it's immediately recognizable what it is that it's supposed to be like the accessible entry or like the kids' entry or whatever. Um, so, really, those are the three Final Fantasy games that came out for the system. And it feels like it is before the. I mean, if we were making a list of like our favorite things about the PlayStation, I would also say Final Fantasy because mm -hmm. uh, 7, 8, 9 like kind of continues totally. this. Um, and man, there was a stretch where there was a decade where Square Enix was just the best. Um, but yeah, this is the, the, the Final Fantasy games to me are so synonymous with my SNES experience. Yeah. I, um, haven't played a Final Fantasy game since 13. And so I can't speak to like the experience of modern Final Fantasy, but I feel like something has been lost in the transition to HD. And so that's really why I think like the, Super Nintendo era up through the PlayStation 2, it was like just the right amount of technology, yeah. you know, where like it was still, uh, you could still render these worlds to the best that the machine was able to do, but it was within the scope that yeah. made it like manageable. And um, I just, I, again, I kind of miss what Final Fantasy was. I feel like Final Fantasy doesn't have art anymore as much as it like yeah like you know like I, it's a little too cold right it's it's kind of uh gotten to the point where it's approaching what those like character concept sketches look like um which are cool but not as much like, they're not as warm to engage with as these like really engaging little sprites yeah and it's just like the the stories that they used to tell the presentation that final fantasy used to have it was more like 
heartfelt. It was more sincere. Yeah, more earnest. Yeah, yeah and uh, more hopeful than I feel like uh, modern Final Fantasy has become. Yeah. Also, I got to say, the hallmarks of Final Fantasy, the like chocobos and moogles, um, are so great in a pixelated abstraction uh, and are so weird when rendered <laughs> in, uh, in any photorealistic detail where you're like, what? It's... If you show me an actual giant yellow bird, I'm going to ask why people are riding it. If you show me a little like a cartoon of it, I'm like, yes, that's right. <laughs> well, we have mentioned it multiple times. And so I think we should just go ahead and put it up here, post it as an entry. And mode seven yeah, is something baby. that I love about the Super Nintendo. One of my favorite things about the Super Nintendo. Mode seven um, was one of those, I don't even know, was it hyped? Like, was it a big part of the marketing or was it just something that like fan magazines and people would talk about because you have never seen video game graphics like Mode 7 graphics before and you will never see them ever again. Right, right, right. Because it is born out of such a specific set of limitations. And like, it truly, it's not like a a weird buzzword. There actually were six previous um, like mode, graphical modes that all have to do with like layers of transparency and like how many... Uh, colors that it can display at one time um and mode seven was just like happened to be the seventh just happened like, to be the mode. seventh one but like it it's it sounds so cool it does mode sound seven. amazingly cool mark what are some of your favorite games to feature mode seven graphics super castlevania 4 yep use uses mode seven in such a wacky way it's using it to like warp the room around you so it seems like the room it, is like spinning. it rotates it, yeah yeah like um it does all of this weird trippy graphical stuff other game like uh f-zero is right. a great example of a uh another way to use mode seven which is uh, the same way that uh mario kart uses it as well right it becomes and it was i guess like the first game to feature mode seven that way since it was a launch title yeah i guess pilot wings too right sure yeah, yeah. where it's just using one enormous sprite as like a world map yeah yep um and uh, you know you also got to remember so yeah like you you mentioned uh super castlevania there's that uh the level where you are going through the rotating um like tower uh parapet uh-huh. that like that that's all done with like warping um a single image into a you know w- with mode seven um uh yoshi's island uh uses mode seven in the touch fuzzy get dizzy level sort of famously to um when you touch the bad guy that it like war like everything gets wavy uh-huh. um it's just such a uh it's a, just an incredible use of technology where like it can't there's so many things the super nes can't do but they're like but we can do this yeah it, just like the super nintendo sound chip right yes. like uh it's the limitation mm-hmm. of the system that makes it entertaining because now you could do any of this stuff you could do all of this stuff you right. could do more right and we don't even blink an eye but there's something about like the uh um uh uh like it's like the audacity right yeah. where where it's like <laughs> like I can't like how dare you try and <laughs> pass this up? but it's so charming and like yeah, yeah. Th- that's the word I was striving for is just like it's like the muppets the fact that it's so primitive and it hand it, like the in the sense that it's like like the muppets where it's like it feels very handcrafted yes yes where you feel the life yes. behind the game because it you even though it's uh rendered in sprites you can feel like the hand of the um the person who made it 
Yes, the hand of the creator. <laughs> <laughs> when, you know, there were only one set of footprints on the beach. That's that was when Mode 7, seven <laughs> carried us. That's right. Uh, there is Mode 7 in uh, Chrono Trigger in uh, uh, basically all these games. Like, it, it, it was a tool that, uh, like, developers knew how to use well. Mm-hmm. And it was just fun uh, basically every time. Uh, Mark, where do I go from here? We are halfway through our list, by the way. Um, we have 15 items, uh, and we're, we're going to 30. Uh, you feeling good? You feeling like great. We, we can do this? Okay. Um, Mark, here comes a curveball. Jurassic Park for the Super NES. Um, an absolute mess of a game. <laughs> <laughs> um, it uh, is the, this is the only platform that this version of the game appeared on. It is very, very unlike the Genesis uh, Jurassic Park game which is like a, a 2D platformer where you alternated between playing as Grant and as a Velociraptor. Um, and this, uh, you play, it's, it's like an overhead sort of Zelda-style um, uh, view, uh, like adventure game where you are outside, avoiding dinosaurs uh, and trying to escape uh, Isa Nublar. Um, except when you go inside buildings, at which point it becomes a virtually unplayable first person shooter <laughs> uh and i it's i think it's achieving this through mode seven but it might be through some like other doom-esque like cheats of uh of, of the graphics um but the game is expansive it is long there's no save feature in this game or, or password feature um i beat it once with my buddy pete what's up pete we're talking about jurassic park for the super nes um and it uh, was something where we had to like leave the system on overnight and like just hope to God that it, nothing happened to it. Um, I don't even know if it's a good game. In fact, it probably isn't. Um, it's but your stunt race FX. It is my stunt race FX, absolutely. Plus, it's Jurassic Park. Yeah. What you were mentioning about the Genesis version being so different, I feel like that's kind of a lost art. Yeah. It happened a little bit in the Wii era where companies would make like... Uh, PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 version, and then somebody else would make a Wii version. Like we saw that with the Alone in the Dark yeah, reboot yeah, yeah, that yeah. Atari did, and like stuff like that. And but nowadays, it's like a game comes out, and it's either coming to these platforms or not, for the most part. Right, or it's like a a less graphically impressive version of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah they just kind of like scale that up and down. Whereas before. It was just like, no, these are completely different games made by completely different teams. Yep. The technology is so different that well, like, there's no point in trying to make the same thing. And the market is different, too. Yeah. Like, you know, Genesis was billing itself as like the cool one. It's not your, it's not your uh, dumb old dad's uh, video game system. And the Super NES was like, yeah, we're your dumb dads. Uh, <laughs> we're your, yeah, we're for dads, too. Yeah. Um, and like this game had that sort of like slow plotting adventure, um, like kind of pacing to it. Um, and I, I, I just loved it. Just love that game. So one, I know we've already talked about RPGs, but one aspect. I'm not done talking about okay, RPGs. Good, good. Cause neither am I. Um, this is kind of like the, uh, cross section of that nineties attitude that Nintendo had with like playing with power yeah, and running, uh, headfirst into the JRPG explosion on the system. And that is the marketing for Earthbound. Oh, my. Which I think is partly, if not mostly, responsible for the awful sales that uh, the game ended up having having outside of Japan. And that is because the marketing... I mean, Earthbound would be a hard game to market. I'm not saying I have, like, necessarily better ideas on how to do that. But the route they went 
doesn't really make any sense. The um, main marketing component were like magazine ads that proudly proclaimed Earthbound, this game stinks. And then it's a scratch and sniff ad, it's right? It's a scratch and sniff ad, and it like it'd be like a two-page spread in the magazine. And it, what it would have is different enemies from the game and the terrible smells that they emitted, and then you would scratch and sniff it. Um, I don't know exactly what they were thinking, but at, looking back on it now, when we can still appreciate Earthbound, like it didn't, you know, like Earthbound still exists. They didn't virtual boy it out of existence or anything. But, um, so looking back at it on now, we can laugh. And at the time, I didn't think anything of it because I was a kid. But, yeah, it's, it's what sort were they of, thinking? It's leaning into the sort of, like, Boogerman, uh-huh. Red and Stimpy sort of, like, uh, aesthetic that was, like, hot in the, in the 90s. But, like, yeah, it doesn't... Earthbound, Earthbound is such a sincere game. <laughs> I know. That, like, uh, uh, stapling that kind of, like, I- irony to it, uh, like, just doesn't work. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's because I I also have uh, Earthbound as one of my like, sort of like backup things to talk about here, um, uh, and specifically its player's guide, also from Nintendo Power, um, which leaned really heavily into those same sort of like marketing beats that you're talking about here, where like um, there's a lot of extra art and a lot of extra concept art um, of the enemies looking grosser than they do in the game. And of course, because the game is limited, right? Mm-hmm. By its 16-bit graphics. And the game has such a simple art style um, that like it could have probably appeared on the um, NES and, and been fine, right? Um, like the, the, the colors are important, so that pro- probably wouldn't have really worked. Um, but the player's guide, uh, so much of it is just like two-page spreads um, of like postcards from that town. This is another one that I absolutely encourage anyone to to look up because um, it's it's gorgeous. It's weird. Um, there are like uh, collectible cards that you can like cut out uh, of like the enemies, so you can like you know shuffle through them and like see who you're fighting while while you're playing. Um, it's all just so weird and lends to the overall weirdness of Earthbound, which is for all of its sincerity a weird game. Yeah. Um, and so like the, the, the entire experience, the player's guide, the game itself, the marketing was an alchemy. Like you said before, like it is, uh, an, an non tangible experience that is almost impossible to replicate. Now it's still a good game. It's still a playable game. It's on, um, the super NES classic edition. It's not on the, uh, uh, switch online. It's not yet. It's a crime. Um, but like if, if you do have the ability to play this game, like go find that guide, print it out, like play with it next to you. Um, it's absolutely worth the bizarre experience. Yeah, because Earthbound is a very strange game. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a, a Dragon Quest game that takes place in modern day, but is obsessed with the sort of like sadness of suburban life. Yeah. And but also with like pop it, yeah, pop culture. Pop culture. Yep. Earthbound, it, compared to Chrono Trigger, which I have warm feelings about, Earthbound, I, like, admire academically, but I find it alienating. Yeah. And I think you're supposed to. Like, yeah. I, I think I, I think the game is alienating. Um, and also, like, uh, it's it's such a weird part of Nintendo history, right? Because it is a sequel to... Is is uh, the original Mother uh, an NES game, or is it also... It's an a, NES game. An NES game. Um, and the prequel to Mother 3, a game which will never be localized. Um, so, like, 
there there's just like all this like mystery around it right like uh you you're right to say that i also would uh like the game from like an academic standpoint but also from like a um almost anthropological standpoint of like look at the the weird piece of video game history this thing represents yeah totally man i'm just i was just googling it to make sure i remember it right the box art for it in north america is just so bizarre yeah and doesn't it's like the big like yellow the star man like, yeah yeah with like spikes on his shoulder and head and it doesn't tell you anything about what the game is and it the game has such an appealing look and such appealing characters that i, I just I, I i do not understand what happened with earthbound yeah the the, the weirdest possible marketing um, and it was also, wasn't it sold with the game guide? So it came in this enormous box. I don't remember. Um, I, yeah, I just remember it being super weird. Mark, let's stay on this like super weird. Uh, and this is a, a niche game. And did I just talk about Jurassic Park, which is a game that only I've played? Absolutely. I'm going to do it again. We're talking about Secret of Evermore, um, which is a sort of spiritual sequel to Secret of Mana, um, except it is uh, developed um from squares uh like u.s offices um and with a solely american audience in mind uh you play the role of a kid from the small town of podunk usa um literally that's the name of the town um and he gets sucked into the world created by the imagination of uh four people at a mad scientist dinner party from the 1950s it's <laughs> you know yeah as one that old trope um and then you know it plays out in a like uh action rpg style um game where you travel between these four magical lands your dog is with you he transforms it with every new world that you go to um i love i i absolutely adore secret of evermore i hate that it is like uh relegated to the dustbin of history because it is not you know part of like uh square japan's uh like portfolio uh you know, this that this is one of those games where like I would believe it if they were like, yeah, we don't know where the code is for yeah, that. Like, yeah, it, it totally. was dumped a long time ago. I it makes total sense to me that uh, you love Secret of Evermore, and um, sorry, <laughs> I'm just updating the list as I'm talking because I realized I typed Secret of Mana, which is not what I intended to type. But yeah, it makes total sense to me that yeah. you love Secret of Evermore because to me it is like Squares Star Tropics. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And has like very similar vibes. I'm holding back uh, <laughs> Secret of Evermore right now. Um, yeah, I, I've never really played it. I have played a little bit with you. And so I can't really speak to like the Secret of Evermore experience. But I'm glad it's on this list because uh, I know how important it is to you. Yeah, hugely important to me. All right, Mark. Okay, my next entry. By, by the way, how, how deep are we into the list right now? We've done 18, so we are almost two-thirds of the way through. Yeah. So uh, my ne next entry, I'm going to do a game, or really a game series, and that is Donkey Kong Country. Uh, I feel like it is worthy of its own entry on this list, because Donkey Kong Country, especially the original game, uh, I mean, really exclusively the original game, if we're talking about games I like really experienced and loved when I was playing a ton of Super Nintendo, the original Donkey Kong Country was another one of those that I just poured hours into. I have such fond memories of playing with my family, having the Les Miserables soundtrack on, having to be rainy outside, right? Like this is yeah. one of those like formative video game experiences that has imprinted on me a love of video games. And I owe that to the beauty of Donkey Kong Country 
I think it is a very like um and it, maybe the sequels they would get better at it, but I think even the original, the music is great. Yeah. The art is great. There are parts of it like where the backgrounds and the world maps are just like really beautiful, like more than a Donkey Kong game, you know, you would that stars these like grotesque looking crocodiles yeah we're on record not being big fans of <laughs> would, the would, rare would seem design to warrant, yeah. but it is that like uh perfect mix of just like amazing artists doing amazing work on this donkey kong game right. which i feel so much is like um the magic of nintendo right people at the height of their uh creative talents working on something for the intention of it being super fun but the thing is it is not just like the the geniuses at Nintendo doing something because this is a game that was developed by Rare using Nintendo characters, right? Oh, totally. Um, and is in a lot of ways uh, sort of recognized as by Nintendo as like a little bit of a sidestep from what they what they do, right? Like there are all these rumors recently of there being a new Donkey Kong game that probably won't have the the country branding on it because the country games are always made by Rare or Retro. Yes, but the yes. rumors are also. That the people who are making this game now, they grew up with Donkey Kong Country. So yes. whether it is a country game or not, like I think that whatever internal struggle there was with Nintendo over embracing it or not embracing it, right. I think Donkey Kong Country has become Donkey Kong. Well, and it's just it's so so the original Donkey Kong comes out on the Super or the original Donkey Kong Country comes out on the Super NES in 1994. Um also in 1994 is Donkey Kong 94 on the Game Boy. But prior to that, the last Donkey Kong game that they made was Donkey Kong 3 in like <laughs> 1986. So like this is a dead and or dormant franchise. And, you know, for uh, Nintendo like presents their uh, version of it, which is like, oh, here it's this, uh, you know, this sort of puzzly platformer. Um, and people are like, oh, that's nice. It's fun. It's probably the best version of Donkey Kong we're going to get. And then Donkey Kong Country comes out and is like, it's a whole new thing. Um, they invented a new Nintendo franchise from existing pieces. Uh, and I just think it's remarkable how special that is. That, like, that's not a thing that happens. That's not a thing that happens. No, and it is something I think Donkey Kong Country has, like, subsumed. Right? Is that a word? Sure. Taken it's, it's, over. over. Yeah, there taken we go. the place yeah. of regular like arcade Donkey Kong in the general consciousness. Right? Yeah, yeah. When I think of Donkey Kong consciousness. <laughs> when I think of Donkey Kong, uh -huh. I see him wearing a tie. Yeah. But hey, doesn't he always wear the tie? Does he in the arcade games? I don't know, but I, I see I see him looking like he does in the in uh Donkey Kong Country. And I think Diddy should be there, right? Like yeah. Yeah, it's uh, the the world of Donkey Kong Country has totally replaced the non mythology of Donkey Kong from the original arcade games. Yeah, R.I.P. Stanley. R.I.P. Stanley from Donkey Kong Three. R.I.P. Uh, Donkey Kong Junior. Oh yeah, big R.I.P. to Donkey <laughs> Kong Junior. He's out there somewhere. Um, Mark, that's a great one. It's on my list as well. I'm starting to get nervous that we're not going to have enough. But here we go. My next entry is the Super Game Boy. Um, this look. If, if, if you wanted a piece of technology that was delivering the play your handheld games on your TV uh, 25 years before the Switch came out, uh, you had it. It was called the Super Game Boy. You could plug your Game Boy games into a extra tall cartridge that would stick out of your Super NES, and you could play Game Boy games on your TV. You could play them in color. You could play them in like extra color if it was a, a Game Boy Color game, and you could uh, like add uh, art in the 
Um, uh, in like the borders, you could do that with the mouse that you got with your copy of Mario Paint. Um, it's just, it's, you know, and for someone like me that had so many Game Boy games, it effectively doubled my Super NES library, right? Like, that's just a perfect place to play Game Boy games on your TV. The only way to do it. Yeah, yep. The Super Big Game Boy was so much fun. It felt like magic a little bit to me. Um, well, the next entry for me, I just want to sing the praises a little bit of the SNES cartridges. Yes. And cartridges in general. Um, when I was thinking about this list, I was kind of reflecting on the fact that I have gone all digital for like two generation console generations now. And it's much more convenient. You know, I don't have to have a place to like store things. But on the Switch, I think I have two physical games. One is Ring Fit Adventure. Because, because you can't buy it digitally. Yeah, and then I think and then I bought a copy, my copy of Super Mario 3D All-Stars. That one's physical as well. And um while I'm like happy with having digital games because there's a lot of things that are convenient about it, and I don't really like consider it. When I was thinking about this list, I forgot like how fun it can be to have like the physical media. Yeah. Totally. And uh, cartridges, of course, would kind of be Nintendo's downfall in the Nintendo 64 era. But they are... There's a reason why Nintendo uses game carts for um, the Switch. It's because cartridges have a lot of virtues. Like you were saying for Chrono Trigger... Oh, the zero loading. Zero yeah. loading. Like There are a lot of great RPGs on the PlayStation. But you, I would be loath to play one on the original PlayStation nowadays because the loading is brutal. Yeah. And never a problem on cartridges. No, it just doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it did mean that the games were... Yeah, I was saying that Chrono Trigger was one of those $80 games. I'm holding a copy of Super Street Fighter 2, which I'm also pretty sure sold for $80 uh, when it originally came out. Um, so they were expensive, but they are handsome little boxes, mm -hmm. right? Um, I was uh, thinking earlier about the sort of like three main... Um, uh, console cartridges from Nintendo, the uh, NES, the Super NES, and the Nintendo 64. And the Super NES is the only one where you can see the name of the game from reading the top of the, the cartridge, right? Is that, is, can you not on a Nintendo 64 cartridge? No, Nintendo 64 cartridge is just, just a gray, yeah. Uh, uh -huh. um, and like, so, so I think the, uh, the Super NES cartridge looks like with its uh like longer rectangle like not as tall as the um nes carts um and without that weird little notch in it um i think they're so cool and those there's that like clear plastic thing that like would slide on the bottom in which you lose immediately i don't have any um but there's it's such a cool little way to like keep the dust out of them i think it's a little less cool than the big black sleeves that nes cartridges uh go in um, but I, I agree with you that the cartridge form factor is just so nice. Yeah, and just aesthetically, I feel like they're such a um, upgrade from the NES, mm -hmm. which were they were like big, they were bulky, they were probably trying to be a little more like VHS tapes or something. Yeah, but uh, there's just something very satisfying about a Super Nintendo cartridge. Um, I do think it's a bummer that the uh, Link to the Past cartridge was not gold. Mm -hmm. Um. But there were also, I feel like, especially in the beginning, they weren't doing, um, like, special colors. I, I believe Killer Instinct was black. I, I don't think I own or owned any that were 
anything other than the standard gray. I know Spider-Man Maximum Carnage was red. <laughs> um, but yeah, Mark, that, that, that's a great pull, the, the form factor of, of the Super NES cartridges. Uh, next, 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 next. Um, I'm going to go with Harvest Moon. Um, a precursor to Stardew Valley, a precursor to even sort of Animal Crossing. Um, it's probably the first game I played that wasn't full of either puzzles or violence. Um, you just get to, uh, raise a farm, uh, and it, be there for two and a half years, have cows, get a horse, get married, have kids. Um, that's truly the kind of game that like, I had not conceptualized uh, as a kid and um, just encountering it and like buying chickens and growing. I don't know. It's uh, obviously a, such a primitive version of uh, all those other games. Um, but to me, it was the original uh, and it's just one I always look back to as well, like a marker. And I I think the Super Nintendo game is the one that has withstood the t- test of time. Like I think it's the er version yeah. of these farming games. Like, you know, uh we went back to the Super Nintendo one for the base of the Game Boy Advance version. Yeah. And, you know, like um Stardew Valley, one of the biggest indie games of all time got successful because it went back to this formula that people loved and made a ton of sense. It was really simple. The Harvest Moon franchise had gotten away from as it tried to, like, you know, uh, move into 3D. It's like, no, like, uh, for whatever reason, this genre works so well in this, like, simple form. Yeah, absolutely. It is, like, what people want. It is the most satisfying. Yep. Yep. Well, I feel like we'd be remiss to not spend a little bit of time talking about uh, or talking more about The Legend of Zelda Link to the Past. I feel like it is deserving of its own entry. It is such an anchor of not just the Super Nintendo experience, but of The Legend of Zelda as a series. Um, we probably don't need to belabor it too much. We have talked probably too much about A Link to the Past on this show. It is we definitely did, one we, of our yes, biases. We did pause it earlier as we were trying to modernize all of the Zelda games. That it's perfect. That it's perfect and it should not be updated in Which, any way. I mean, really, what... What more need be said other than just like Chrono Trigger and just like some of these other games that we've talked about, it feels like the ambitions of the Zelda team finally um, were met by the technology. And it is, yeah, it is kind of a perfect game that continues to have profound effects on what The Legend of Zelda is today. Yeah. Yep. Uh, And is so full of uh, individually great and or moving moments. Um, Like I can't think about Link to the Past without... uh, you know, seeing the, uh, the the flute kid who gets transformed into a monster in the dark world and then into a tree when you play music for him. Um, you know, I, I can't help but think of, like, the very end credits music, which is just a, a stunning uh, musical experience, again, aided by the Nintendo S-SMP chip. Uh, and, it, yeah, it's just, it, it's, a, it's a wholly remarkable, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful game. Um, I've got another entry like that, but I'm going to save it. For later, um, I'm going to say Turtles in Time, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time. There are a handful of good brawlers on the Super NES, um, including like the uh, SNES version of Final Fight. Um, but that game is a little bit lacking. I miss the third playable character, and like it's just not a 
uh, a wholly accurate um, arcade port. Uh, but Turtles in Time, man, it's sort of like the perfection of that style of Ninja Turtles game uh, that I hope we're going to see uh, like another good version of in uh, Shredder's Revenge when that comes out. Um, but like, it just takes you to such interesting places. You fight prehistoric uh, Slash. You travel to the... It's, again, a time travel, right? So you're going to the future, you're going to the past. You fight pirates, uh, and it's a two-player simultaneous Ninja Turtles game. It's just a really good, really satisfying arcade port. Okay, I have at least one more kind of uh, difficult to wrap your head around. I guess not head. It's a very simple concept. Um, wrap your arms around, maybe. But I want to talk about the joy of opening a new game in mm. the era of the Super Nintendo. Okay. Because it, it, this is, a, I guess, a, a combination, like a Lego building block of some of the things that we've talked about before. But I do think it's like a distinct experience. Like when you got a Super Nintendo game for the first time, it was different than getting a video game um, today. Because you would open up the box, uh-huh. there would be the cartridge, there would be the manual, which was like such an important part of it. There was the whole like sensory experience of the like the p- printed ink on the yeah. paper, yep, and like the cartridge coming out of its packaging. Like, um, it's something that today, without like the manuals and with uh, just like the more simple um, like clamshell cases, is just different than how it used to be. Yeah, and it well, was something that was, like, singular. And, and the, the, there was a, a possibility, especially with these RPGs, that there was, like, a map in there, uh-huh. too. Um, and also, like, the, the games all rested, because the box was bigger than the cartridge itself. So the, the games all rested in this, like, little, like, cardboard box inside the box, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, yeah, I, have, I also have this, like, the same sort of, like, sense memory of, like, that cardboard, that waxy cardboard. Um, yeah, it, it it is a cool experience. And for me, it was such a rare experience, too, because uh, most of the games that we got, we got them from garage sales. We got them when they were right. super cheap. Like, we got them when Blockbuster was getting rid of them because the and Nintendo 64 was coming out, right? Like, And so to get a new video game was a very rare experience. And I felt like uh, uh, Charlie and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you know, just like savoring slowly that chocolate bar, like it, yeah. slowly unwrapping it. Um, it's, it was such a, a fun part of the experience. I bet all that gold makes the chocolate taste awful. Is that what he says? <laughs> um, all right, Mark, I'm going to talk about Super Mario RPG right now. Um, and look, did we have RPGs as one category and then list several different <laughs> RPGs as, as different categories? Yes. I promise it- you there's another game coming up. <laughs> is it warranted? Absolutely. Super Mario RPG. This is a Nintendo and Squaresoft collaboration uh the likes of which we would never see again um where square is making a game the way they make games but with nintendo characters and inventing nintendo characters that people still talk about to this day is gino gonna be in smash brothers the answer is no never. <laughs> there's only one character left yep mallow <laughs> <laughs> um but it's it's just such a uh, a, a fun and uh, like approachable accessible game um, you know, I can keep talking about how good Squaresoft was at making uh, RPGs for the Super NES, uh, but I can just say this is another example of that. Um, it's amazing to me that this creates a genre mm-hmm. of game that Nintendo has been chasing for the last 20 years, 
and been unable to replicate um, with, with the few rare exceptions of like some of the Paper Mario games um, or uh, the Mario and Luigi games. They're all like a little bit not quite what Super Mario RPG is. Yeah, it's just different. I mean, how do you... It's like when they tried to get Arrested Development back together, right? It's like, how can you replicate that specific moment in time where Square was at the height of its powers, Nintendo right. was firing on all cylinders, and so, you know, like, how do you even try... With I love a lot of the Paper Mario games, but they are they just have different goals, right? Yeah, totally. Made by different teams. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, my next entry on the list is the Sony PlayStation. It is one of my favorite <laughs> things to come out of the Super Nintendo. Um, the genesis of the PlayStation is, of course, that Nintendo and Sony were working on what would be like a um, add-on for the Super Nintendo that would that was be made by Sony that would play CD-ROMs. And like in one of the great moments in corporate backstabbing, like literally the day it was supposed to be announced. Nintendo just like stopped talking to them and announced that they were going with the Philips CDI, which of course turned out to be a huge debacle. But out of that, Sony was like, all right, well, we're just going to like get into video games and proceeded to eat Nintendo's lunch for um, like two generations. Yeah. Well, and uh, aided in no small part by a company we have not stopped talking about this whole time, Squaresoft and Square yeah. Enix. Um, the, the Final Fantasy games that were so good on the Super NES became so good on the uh, PlayStation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow, what a what an interesting like perspective on that to, to say that the PlayStation is one of your favorite things about the Super NES. I get it. It's, because like the PlayStation I, I love it. would not exist yeah. if it had not been for this like uh erstwhile collaboration between the two companies. Like I don't know that Sony would have ever gone down that route and the PlayStation has, you know, is like uh, the PlayStation brand is one of the greatest in gaming. Yeah, yeah. Well, and like it's also crazy. You can trace it back to the be- the initial launch of the Super NES. We we're talking about this sound chip, yeah, which is designed yeah. by Sony. Like mm-hmm. they were buds. They were working it out together, making an awesome system together. And you know, well, Sony then was like, "Well, forget it. We're just going to do our own thing." Um, Nintendo had to like stumble and like get back um, to a place of. Uh, relevance and then dominance and you know there there've obviously been uh you know ebbs and flows there um but yeah it it, it truly is there would be no PlayStation if Nintendo weren't a weird backstabbing <laughs> but can you imagine if they were the same if they if it was the Nintendo and Sony Switch no like what yeah it's it's it is difficult to imagine like what that road looks like long term yeah yeah well especially like just considering how much of PlayStation has become like a worldwide company mm-hmm. and uh, Nintendo is still very much a Japanese company with presence around the world um, that like they, they have become so, so, so different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's one of the great like gaming. What ifs, right? What if they just stayed together? Um, okay. Uh, this is my penultimate uh, game for this list or uh, a- entry for this. I think I may only have two things left, um, but I want to see. I want to verify. Uh, and actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna call I'm calling an audible here, Mark. Uh, I'm gonna say the Super Star Wars games. Oh, okay. Um, games which are uh, look, they're difficult and they're not great. 
um, and they have insane difficulty curves that and spikes that don't make any sense. Um, but if you watched The Mandalorian, uh, the third episode of The Mandalorian, when he is trying to get on that sand crawler to uh, fight the Jawas that stripped his ship for parts, um, that is 100% the second level of, <laughs> of Super Star Wars, uh, where you are Luke Skywalker trying to climb up that that thing to, to no avail. Um, the, the games have uh, beautiful sprites um, and really detailed animation, and they just sort of walk you through the stories of the uh, original three Star Wars movies. Um, and the gameplay is not very good or uh, innovative, uh, but they do mix it up all the time. There are vehicle levels, there are a ton of different characters that you play as. You play as Wicket at some point in uh, the the third one. Uh, you can you, it's 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 got such a fun variety and just while it's not a good game, it very much feels like you are engaging with Star Wars. Yes, yeah, and that's why it was such a fun experience as a kid because you know there was Star Wars for the NES, and I remember renting that. But Super Star Wars was something else. It had like a pretty good rendition of the star wars themes yep you know like it felt like star wars and you say it walked you through the the stories of the movies and well, it's like it walked you through the beats of the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you know like uh they they had to fill it with a lot of action sequences that don't actually exist so everything on tatooine is super hostile yes everything on every world is like incredibly hostile but um yeah the especially that first uh, sandcrawler level is blazed so into my mind because it's so hard. And so I played that level yeah. so many times failing to get past it. Super Star Wars, for sure, is a lot of fun. Yeah, and like the, the games are full of those like uh, behind the vehicle. I, are those Mode 7? I actually can't remember. I don't know either. It seems like they could be. I don't They, they I don't probably know. were, yeah. yeah. Um, but like the, the games were always good at like mixing it up with like a weird uh, gameplay experience between the side of, sort of standard side-scrolling yeah. action. And you'd be like, oh, great, this is a Jedi level. This is one where I have a lightsaber. Or you'd be like, oh, man, this is one where I got to play as Han Solo. Well, it's like Han Solo is fun and all, but like he's got his blaster. Come on. It was just fun to see those worlds like rendered yeah. in uh, what felt like at the time, like such a like realistic and cool way. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. My final entry for this list is one that we've mentioned before, but I, again, think it deserves its own entry, and that is Super Mario World. Um, I think the Super Mario World is probably the best packing game of all time. You bought a Super Nintendo and you got Super Mario World for free. It was just there. Which is an outrageous value proposition because that game is so good yeah it takes the concept of super mario brothers 3 and this is another it's it's an example of the nintendo just take the thing that they were doing before and just do it right this time not that it was wrong before but like the existence of world makes three look like a mistake if that makes sense i personally i don't know that i'd go that far i feel like they're different experiences like Mm -hmm. i like three plays very different than world three the levels are really short. They're yeah, very fast yeah, paced. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, World is about taking your time and platforming, exploring even more than Super Mario Brothers 3. You know, like level, lots of levels have multiple exits. Mm-hmm. Like the world is so much more expansive. Like you said, it introduces Yoshi. Um, I remember my first uh, exposure to a Super Nintendo was going to our, our cousin's house for Thanksgiving 
and I was like aware that there was a new Nintendo thing, but we definitely did not own it. And I, I wasn't a subscriber to Nintendo Power at that point. And so like, you know, I wasn't getting that direct feed of Nintendo all, all the time. And so I remember going to my cousin's house and seeing Super Mario World and seeing the like Bowser fight yeah. with the uh like hot air balloon like whirly gig thing. Yeah. And the clown car. It just blowing my mind. Yeah. 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 It's I mean it is a stunning game and you know has all of the things that we've been saying that are good about all these games uh of in- incredible music and like bright beautiful sprites um but i mean the, the thing that this game that super mario world has that um i feel like is something i always want more of from a, a mario game is a clear and unique aesthetic yeah um like no other no other game looks like Super Mario World. Um Mario's a little bit rounder than mm-hmm. uh, than he is his his overalls are a little bit brighter. Like um the the greens are a little bit greener, the blues are a little bit bluer, the faces are a little bit chubbier. Everyone's a little bit more like worked up. I don't know what it is, but it's so charming and so specific. Well, and it's also something that the Mario franchise we just like lost a little bit right like, yeah because uh, it's standardized yeah like yeah. yeah 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 like every entry in the mario series up to you know uh arguably from sunshine on you know have shared a very similar aesthetic yeah whereas like super mario brothers super mario brothers 2 in the u.s um super mario brothers 3 super mario world uh super mario 64 all of these look so different from each other yeah 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 and it's it i i just i if nintendo were to put out a super mario world 2 like a genuine super mario world 2 not yoshi's island just a sequel to super mario world with that art style i would be so happy yeah it's thrilling it is my preferred mario to play in uh super mario maker um it's just so fun and fluid. And just like the idea of jumping on a Goomba and throwing it around. Like, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's, all, it's all very appealing. And that cape, my God, the cape. <laughs> the cape is an all-timer. Um, Mark, I think at this point, I'm not going to say this as my last entry, but I think we just got to give a shout out to Super Mario All-Stars, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, the, the way a lot of people were introduced to the original uh, Mario trilogy. Um, and the way uh, basically every American kid was introduced to uh, the Lost Levels. Um, yeah, a, a, a great collection of Yeah, Mario a great games. collection. Um, you know, the Super Nintendo wasn't backwards compatible, and so the only way that you could play these original Mario games from the NES on your Super Nintendo, they are the versions, uh, the, the quote-unquote original that are imprinted in my brain because I played them, you know, when my brain was more fully formed. Right. And way more than on the NES. Uh, and to this day, it remains a crime that that is not a uh, playable, usable theme in Mario Maker. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, yep. wh- where where are these 16-bit Super Mario Bros. 3 graphics? Like, yeah. Come on. Let's, let's put them in there. Um, but only an honorable mention because, and again, we have talked about this game before on this show uh, and on this episode of this show, but we have got to put Super Metroid as its own entry on this list. Uh, as it is sort of the uh, blueprint for what Metroid uh, could be in the future, 
what it can be. For me, it is like the high bar uh, that needs to be cleared, uh, or which maybe can never be cleared. It is what, and it's not just for the Metroid series. It is what these, um, uh, like Metroidvania, the genre, yeah. aspires to be. All of these indie games aspire to be Super Metroid. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because it's such a satisfying formula of find the thing that gives you uh, more access to the space uh, that you've already been to uh, so that every time you walk into a room, you have a different experience of that room. And with the sole exception of uh, Meridia, the like water area, which is too big and kind of too tough to, uh, to, to navigate, um, everything else is compact enough and small enough and visually distinct enough that you know where you're going. The second you get the high jump boots, the second you get the ice beam, the second you get the wave beam, you are like, oh my God, now I can do blank. And you go right there. And it's just like, it's so intuitive and smooth and wonderful. And it's pretty remarkable that it works because the first two games are bad. Uh, yeah, obtuse. Yeah, totally. They, they, they're, they, they both required the remakes to make them playable. Yeah, yeah. Super Metroid? You can't remake it. It can't be done. There'd be no reason to. Um, but I also, uh, and I, again, I know I've talked about it specifically uh, on this show before, but the, uh, the game's approach to storytelling and atmosphere is virtually uh, unmatched ever. Um, the way that it presents you with the uh, baby Metroid that, uh, you know, the beginning of the game is like doing this with like text on screen and, uh, you know, sort of like, still uh, images as like cutscenes, um and that's all fine you're like getting introduced to the story so like you're not in you're not tuned into anything revolutionary yet this is all normal um but then throughout the course of the of playing the game you encounter this metroid again uh but you don't recognize it because why would you it's just a it's a monster it's a metroid uh and it's a giant one at that it sucks all the life out of you um and uh you know there's a moment where you're like ah oh, crap i'm gonna die but then you don't die because the Metroid recognizes you and pulls away. It sort of squeals a little bit, and the game is not explaining anything to you at this point. Um, you have to piece together. You have to remember. Uh, but like you intuit- you just you know what's going on, right? Like it's so efficient in its storytelling that it doesn't need a single word on the screen to say. And then the and then the Metroid recognized you and left you alone. It just happened. Um, and then in your final fight with Mother Brain, Mother Brain's got you beat down too. Um, and or wait, how's the actual? Yes, so that's that's the sequence. She she starts beating you down, um, and then uh, is about to blast you with her hyper beam for the last time. Something that you've been hit with already, and which dealt so much damage to you. And you're like, ah, oh, crap! I gotta start this whole fight again. Go back to my save point. Uh, and then that Metroid comes in and rescues you and attacks Mother Brain and absorbs all of her life force and then drops it back into you, powering you up. But then Mother Brain comes back to life and attacks the Metroid. Like, it's such a... The drama is so effective and so good and so immediately clear without words. It's just told with 16-bit graphics and a a fake orchestral score. Um, And it's just... It's so moving and so complete. I... You just don't experience that in games. It's a great one to end on because it is like the intersection of so many of the other things that we have praised like the Super Nintendo for. Yeah. Like uh, all of that is so, I mean, really these last two, all the things that we love about the Super Nintendo are present in Super Mario World and Super Metroid. They're great like 
examples of why we love the Super Nintendo. Um, all right, Mark. Those are the our 30 favorite things about the Super NES. Let's close this out. What are your favorite things about the Super NES? Did we miss any of them? Um, we have a pretty good list here, but I think there are probably more and there are probably corners uh, that we uh, sure, didn't yeah. touch on. Uh, no one even said NBA Jam. So like maybe the whole, <laughs> maybe this exercise is a sham. Um, but uh, please email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com if you would like us to talk about your favorite things on the Super NES. Um, but, uh, that is going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Remember, please rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts if you like the episode. You can share it on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you share stuff. We appreciate it when you do that. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE Mitchell, and the show is at Nincart Society. We also have a Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Olivia Duncan Mayor logo. Our theme music is provided by 8 Betty. You can get more of his music by going to 8BitBetty.com or by listening right now. For my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Eller saying happy birthday, Super NES, and thank you for listening. Rachel, do you like Disney movies? Yeah. yeah. Have you seen all of them? Yeah, we saw all the Disney animated movies. And we saw all the Pixar animated movies, too. How about the DCOMs? What? what? The Disney Channel original movies. You should listen to our podcast, Inside the Disney Vault, because we are watching all of them in chronological order. Yeah, and we do fun segments, like we cast each other. That's right, and my favorite segment, Zaddy Watch, where we rank every single DCOM daddy. Ooh, you can listen to all this fun stuff on our podcast, Inside the Disney Vault on Campfire Media, wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, guys, let's get back in the vault. It's cold out here. Campfire.